Welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am your host, Heather Hansen O'Neill, and I am thrilled to be back with you again today with another amazing guest. Today, my quote is by Mother Teresa. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. So our guest is Dr. G. She is a globally renowned expert in trauma-informed research. Using her background as a clinical psychologist, she helps companies big and small to create products and services that are healing and empowering. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Dr. G, welcome. Yay, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. You have no idea. So is uh, we are going to have such a great time and we're going to give tons of value to our listeners today. So I, I know we went really quickly through your bio. You've got a lot. <laughs> is there anything that you would like to add about your journey before I jump into questions? No, jump in. Oh, I love it. Let's, let's just <laughs> dive in. I love somebody who's ready to dive in. So you started out in academia. How did you go from there to being the founder of UX Consultancy? Yeah. So I think that there needs to be a story first. I knew there was more. <laughs> we need a story. I love the story. So the funny thing is when I started my doctorate program, the president got up and he was like, okay, there's a maximum of 10 years. You can only do 10 years in this program. And I was like, I was going to take 10 years. This is a five-year program. I had two children during my doctorate program. And so it did take me 10 years. And here's what happened in the last three months, I got a letter that said from the president, you're going to be dismissed from the program because you missed meetings and because you had a flippant attitude. And I was like, wow. And I first conceded, right? I called my mom and I was like, mom, <laughs> it's over. And she was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. How? No. Like, first of all, no, you have worked for nine something years. This is not over. You read that letter again and you tell me, where are they wrong? And I was like, well, I didn't know you could dismiss somebody for being flippant. That seems pretty subjective. And she was like, did anybody talk to you about any of this? And so I was like, yeah, you know, I was in the meetings and the way that I deal with trauma or when there's like somebody coming at me is I'm like, okay, okay, cool. I got that. Okay. No problem. All right, that makes sense. I can make that change. Got it. Okay. And I act like it's not a big deal because I'm like, okay, this is a huge deal. All you need to do is distill the information and do the things and the steps to make it right. Okay. Got it. Okay. Got it. So I'm like, so laser focused that like all the emotion of like, this is a huge deal. Like, you know, you're in trouble, young lady goes out the window. Cause I'm just mm. like super focused on solutions and what I did wrong and how I can make it better. So I was like, okay, you're right, mom. So Needless, like very long story, very short, I ended up writing and to the president and saying, like, I can't be dismissed for being flippant. That's not right. This is how I dealt with a traumatic like meeting that I was in where everybody was coming at me saying, did you know that you did this and this and this? And this is how I dealt with it. And I thought this was a safe space. Please show me where I'm wrong, basically. Um, ended up getting my diploma, getting the doctorate. And so I had a, a chip on my shoulder a bit for a little bit with academia that I was like, forget this place, like forget academia. 
forget like all the steps I'm supposed to take. So I didn't get my license because I was like pretty much like, I think I did it a little bit in um, resistance, right? Like I was just like rebelling from the whole path I was supposed to take. So that led me to this place of like, well, what else do you do with a psychology degree? I had a doctorate in psychology. Everybody I knew went from going the school to either a clinic or having their own practice. So I was like, okay, I'll do the own, my own practice part. At that point, I was seeing cancer patients and their caregivers. So I was like, okay, cool. This um, this is a lot. This is heavy. I'm also bringing life into the world while a lot of my clients are dying. And so it was like a very heavy place. And I kept hearing over and over, I want to get a second opinion, but I want, I don't just really scared. If I come back to my doctor, I'm not going to get the same care. And I was like, gosh, that's terrible. So I started drawing things on a piece of paper. And I was like, what if there was an app for this? Like, what if you could like match with your doctor on like other things? Like they believe in acupuncture or they like, they believe in nature prescriptions. And rather than just like, this is their specialty and this is their insurance, right? Yeah. And I was like, what if you could break up with your doctor? Like the same way that you could like break up with people, right? And just be like, nope, <laughs> I don't want to be with this doctor because I found a different doctor. So that was like my first little like skip from academia in like out. And I was like, oh, this is fun. So that gave me a little out. And my mom is like a huge part of this story. So you might hear her name over and over again. It's mom. But um, <laughs> she was like, Hey, I know this startup company, it's chatbots and you should just like have a conversation with them. And I'm like, chat, chatbots. Okay, cool. Had a conversation with them. This amazing woman who is ending up being my best friend who you might hear her name again too. Um, her name is Angie. She was like, Hey, can you create a conversation that a chatbot would have about loneliness and isolation? Mm. And I was like, yes. Yes, I can. I've been doing this for 10 years. And so I did that and I was like, hey, you know what would be really cool is if this bot could deliver a conversation to newly diagnosed breast cancer patients, because there's a lot of conversations that could happen about like, should I get a double mastectomy? Should I like freeze my eggs? Like a whole bunch of questions that like you don't find out unless you're in a support group. So I was like, can you do that? And she's like, oh yeah, totally. And I was like, can I work here? And she was like, we actually don't have any positions. And I'm like, that's okay. I'll be an intern. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah. So I went from being a PhD student, graduating my PhD to going back to being an intern. Heather. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? But I, I had to trust it was a dance, right? Like that whole two step forward, one step back situation. Mm -hmm. So that was my first step into tech. Yeah. And so I was like still in academia because I was still in mental health. But what ended up happening is we ended up having a whole bunch of users that were like, hey, you're missing the conversation. So this chatbot is basically uh, a text. You're having a text conversation and you'll be like, I went to Walmart yesterday and I stood in line for 15 minutes. And it was so frustrating. And the chatbot will be like, oh, frustration is really hard to deal with. Do you want to do a breathing exercise? So sometimes she misses it, right? Sometimes yeah. she'll be like, oh, like, lines are hard or I don't understand what you said. Can you repeat it? And so I ended up looking at the backlog of all of these conversations and it was like, okay, I think that people want to vent. I think that's what's happening. So like we ended up creating a module for a chatbot that if like it went over a certain amount of characters, that meant that they just wanted to vent. And the chatbot was like, it sounds like you want to vent. Do you need some more time? 
And all the users were like, yes. super cool so that was kind of my first like thing of like okay I'm really getting away from psychology and into this like tech thing this is cool so that was user research that was UX research and I was like okay I didn't really know what it was yet but the, the conversations that I was like coming up with was called conversational design which again I had no idea what this was so I leave the startup and I'm like hmm jobless two kids, PhD. Awesome. <laughs> what am I going to do with my life? I put out a ton of job applications. No, 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 no. A ton more job applications. Silence. I'm like, I don't know what's worse, the nose or the silence. Okay. So I was literally on the website to apply for unemployment. And I was like, okay, I'm going to apply for unemployment. And I got a phone call that was like, hey, do you want a uh, um, it was like a contract, but still it was like, you want a contract interview with Google? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. Wow. Thank you. That would be amazing. So did the interview, got the contract, became a UX researcher for Google on their hardware team. So I was like, okay, this is awesome. I was taking the bus. I got to like ride the Google bikes. We got the food and everybody had their headphones on. I made no friends. <laughs> I made no difference in life. I was commuting in the world that like, I was like, why am I doing this? Getting up at six in the morning so I could be home with my kids at like two or three. And I was literally doing research on whose iPad was better, Apple, Google, or Microsoft. And I was like, this sucks. This is not fun. I don't want to do this. So I quit my job and I went to a nonprofit. So I went from academia to tech to kind of like circling back a little bit to nonprofit in that like academia research but here's what happened. This is when I got the trauma-informed part. So this was like the best story, I think, for me, because I started in psychology, hated it, loved tech, but hated the part of tech that I was in, went into nonprofit and was like, this is awesome, but I can make this, I think, even like really gel with who I am. And so the trauma-informed part, I was able to like really take and like make something of all of the experiences that I had and create my lab the way I wanted it. Mm. Oh my gosh. You know, I love the story. I love the backstory because so often, you know, we look at people and we're like, oh, this, you know, people, oh, overnight success, or, you know, they, they just like suddenly became something, but it's the story of how they got there, how they assimilated the successes, the failures, the whatever, right? And then consciously chose, like you chose to bring it, to tie it all together, to make it mean something for you. So that is where we you call it Dr. G's lab, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us just a little bit more about Dr. G's lab. Yeah. So Dr. G came from a bunch of 16 year olds. <laughs> I was, you'll see this theme. I actually let young people kind of run my life. Um, so I was doing a training for uh, adverse childhood experiences and toxic stress at high school. And it was online. And I was like, oh, you know, my name is Bree Gentilly and I have a doctorate in psychology. And they were like, can we just call you Dr. G? And I was like, sure, that's totally fine. And it just stuck. And I would <laughs> say it stuck because I left it on my Zoom. So it literally stuck. <laughs> and I didn't know, but I like joined a meeting and my like all staff and my boss was like, oh, hey, what's up, Dr. G? And I was like, hey. <laughs> so he literally like just it. stuck. 
I loved it. So that's where Dr. G came from. And the lab came from going through my grandfather, excuse me, going through my grandfather's loss. So I lost him to COVID two years ago. Mm, He was like my father. Thank you. And he was like my father in a lot of ways. Um, And I just wanted to avoid COVID, the word COVID. I wanted to like not see it ever again. So I thought if I went to my news app that I'd be able to like deselect like biotech and politics and stuff like that word, like COVID would pop up. It came up in arts. It came up in fashion. It came up in sports. And I was like, gosh, this would be a great idea if I could have a prompt come up every time I open the app that said, what topics bring you joy today? What topics do you want to avoid today? Right? Ooh, yeah. I know. Ooh, right? oh, every time I, I say this story, that. everybody's like, ah. And I'm like, someday Apple is going to hear this and they're going to change their news app and they're not going to pay me for it, but it's okay. So I decided I am going to start my own lab because there has to be conversations about this, just conversations. And so I started holding these weekly or sorry, monthly events mm-hmm. where I would just have guests and I would just talk about empathy and I would just talk about like what it was like to be in research and how we need to bring empathy into research. I talk about emotional intelligence. So it just started out by me having these conversations once a month with these guests. And then something happened where I was like, I don't actually have time for these events because something else is pulling my energy. And I was like, what is it? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to contract. I was like, everybody has their thing. Like some people are like, I'm going to play guitar. I'm going to join, I'm going to do ceramics. I'm going to join a soccer team. I'm going to (laughs) contract. So I decided I was going to contract. And here's why. I wanted to start a trauma-informed staffing agency because I wanted to like show that people can choose. We've used this Mm -hmm. word before. People can choose to contract as a life choice. And it's not because they're a hot mess. It's not because they're trying to get their life together. It's not because they're a mom hustling on the side. It's because they actually don't want to be part of the employee loop Mm -hmm. that is toxic and hard to get out of. Right. And there's a lot of trauma bonding that goes on in, in the workforce, quite frankly. And so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to contract so I can understand what it's like to be a contractor. So I can start this trauma-informed staffing agency and um, really understand what it was like to go through the process. So I started to contract and then another idea came and I was like, Ooh, what if I also was an incubator for youth? Because I never got a chance as a youth to like <clears throat> brainstorm ideas. Like I would never understood what, in, what was behind an app. I never understood that. And even as an adult, like working at Google, I would always like peek in the design lab and be like, yeah, look at those colors, you know, like what are <laughs> doing? there's such a wall, right? Like there's such mm-hmm. a barrier. And so I was like, let me just open this curtain up. Let me just open Pandora's box up for the youth. So I was like, I'm going to be an incubator for youth who want to create apps. Mm. And then like another little spark started coming up and I was like, wait a minute, this lab is bigger than just me. This lab is not about me giving services and me having consulting and advising gigs. Like this is actually a lab where people need to grow and come and create and be empowered and then leave and go out into the world and do great things. Mm-hmm. So that's how Dr. G's lab came up. It came up with being named by teenagers, branded by teenagers, and then not shutting down the sparks. Because I think as women, 
so easily when we have sparks and it's something different than our like original plan. If we tell somebody, they're like, wait a minute, I thought you were doing this. And you're like, oh, I am. But I also want to do that. And they, they're like, the excitement is like scary for them. They're like, yes, yeah, you know what you're doing? Like, are you sure? And you're like, yeah. Why does nobody else get this? <laughs> <laughs> and then you start surrounding yourself with other, quite frankly, other women who mm-hmm. are going through business and doing entrepreneur and starting things and doing scary things. And you're like, oh, cool. My sparks are, are sparks. They're sparks that keep my tinder and my flames alive, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't have just one giant passion keeping this cauldron bubbling. I have multiple passions that are all united by this Mm. one goal, which is like to keep this cauldron bowling, like boiling and just bubbling, right? Yeah. So that's the last. You're speaking my language, like both figuratively and literally because (laughs) you know, from fear to fire, I've got a whole fire theme and I'm so, so, so on board with the sparks because not only is it sparking and, and kind of fanning that inner flame, but when we as women, as, as entrepreneurs, as, you know, people who want to make a difference in the world, as we, when we show up like that, we, we we're like a beacon of light yes. for everyone else. Right. And when people try to kind of tamp that down, that that's not good. That's not good. We, we need to fan the flame, baby. We need to light it up. So I'm so glad to hear that. That's exactly what you are doing. Was it, was it hard or is it hard being a woman in, um, you know, starting a business and in the industry with tech and, and all of that? Yes. And I want to say that the people I work with don't make it hard. Okay. It's the system or the framework or the Petri dish and whatever it exists in, right? It's yes, the yes. container that makes it hard because like I just said, when you share that flame with somebody that you hope is going to catch it and they don't catch it. And instead they take the flame and they kind of throw it back at you. And they're like, that's a wild outlandish idea. That's not related to what you did. And it's not related to the last like five years of your life. And it's not related to what you did when you were like five years old. Are you sure? (laughs) So you're just like, okay, the self doubt is real. The self-doubt is real, but I think what you're talking about is that when other people project it onto you, creating a self-doubt that wasn't even there to begin with. Yes. 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 So I think that is a part that's so hard is really being super intentional about the people you share these things with because you want to share it with everybody, right? Like you want to like run down the stairs and you're like, I have a thing. I have a thing and you can't, you can't, you have to hold it for just a little bit. You have to protect that little flame. And then you have to go to the right people and you're like, guess what? (laughs) And so I think that the hardest part is managing my excitement. It's not managing my time because I figured out what I'm good at. Thankfully I've had a lot of coaches and I've figured out what I'm good at, what I like to do and what I have experience at. And the things that are low, like on that list altogether, I outsource. It's like social media, I don't do. It's not my thing. I'm not good at it. I have no experience at it. So I'll outsource that, right? But the things that I love to, I can spend my time on the things that I love 
the things that I maybe don't have experience at, but I really want to. Yes. So yes. Those are the things that I get to spend my time. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I want to go back because you said there's a theme in young people making decisions for you. And yes. you have you have a new book coming out soon. And I think that these two things tie together. How about they you do. share for our audience a little bit? They do. They do. So the book, I, I, it's a long time coming and I was struggling with a title, which I think a lot of people do, right? And you're writing this book, unless you're cool and you write the title first and you work backwards, which yeah. I'm going to do someday. <laughs> But I was struggling with the title and I was like, should I reach out to my network and have them title it? So I did. And I got a couple titles and I was like, ooh, nothing's sticking. And I was like, frustrated. We were on a little family getaway. And I was like asking my, he was then 10. Mm -hmm. I said, uh, what should I name my book? He was like, well, what's it about? And I was like, well, it's about like being kind and courteous and thinking about how people really feel when you're doing research and like making games and apps and stuff. And I was like, so is it about like research? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, it's about like, like how you feel. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, why don't you say like this book is about emotions and research then? And I was like, okay, awesome. So it came, this book is about empathy and research. <laughs> I was like, fuck. And it fits so perfectly other because that's what it's about. That's literally what it's it. about. It's literally about empathy and breaking that down into emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and using that with consumer psychology so that we can make products that not only are products people want and bring delight and all of that stuff, but they're healing, they're empowering. Like, don't you want those products? Like you don't want products where people are like lifelong users of a mental health app, right? You want them to, like everybody says on their dating apps, like you want to delete it. Right. So like, yeah. let's kind of, let's have that outlook. So my 10 year old named my book and he's now 11 and I'm sure at some point in life, he'll want royalties, which <laughs> I'm here for because, Hey, equity, we got to be equal here. So <laughs> I'm prepared. I love it. That's a fantastic story. So I have heard that you have received an insult that you're actually proud of. Do you want to tell us what that is? Well, there's a couple of them. So I hope <laughs> I gave you the right one. Um, okay. But I've, I've been told um, that I I don't, uh, I, I sometimes come off as a chatbot. I don't have a lot of emotion. Mm. And here's why it's it's been told to me. Um, when I'm listening, I'm really intently listening, but what I end up doing when I'm listening is again, like sometimes trauma will come back in and I'll distill mm -hmm. for solutions because solutions in my life avoided trauma. If I were to come up with solutions as a child for adult problems, I could avoid a lot of conflict. Yeah. Right. And so I became the problem solver. And so my response then is to distill information and come up with a solution. And it's not in a way of like, okay, well, we're going to do this and this. It's not in this very, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not in a really like 
um, energetic way. It's in like a very like, okay, do you think that you might want to try this? <laughs> you see, it comes off like, it comes off very like, are you even listening to me? Well, because you're all of your processing is taking place behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I am a behind the scenes person. And I'm a slow processor as well. I'm a slow cooker processor, I like to say. Mm-hmm. I'm not a flash fryer. So, you know, I'll take time. You tell me something in the morning and I'll probably reflect and tell you something in the evening about what you said in the morning. And people will be like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what I found is that um, the women in my life, Angie, who we spoke about, yes. and my mom, Um, And then another business coach, Karen Bartlett, understood me. Mm. They understood when they'd say something in the morning or on Monday and Sunday would come around and I'd be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Right. And, and, And so what I found was that, while it's an insult at first, um, I have to understand that the people who are saying it is what makes it the insult. Are they people that understand me or know me? And if they do and they're saying it, then it's an insult. Mm. But if they don't know me or if they've never taken the time to truly um, understand how I process, I can't hold it against them and count it as an insult. You know, there's there's a couple of things in this, right? A couple of lessons in this. So one is for any listener right now that is feeling um, like someone else is judging them to, to take the time to say, you know what, do they know me? Do they not know me? Is this really their issue or is it against me? You know, to take, to just say, you know what, this may not have anything to do with me and to Mm -hmm. release it, but also for when we show up in the world to take into consideration that there are people who have different ways of processing different styles and, that we need that in the world, different perspectives, you know, we really need that so that there's um, more uh, solutions ultimately that are serving more people because we've looked at it from every viewpoint. So I really, I really like you bringing that up. That's fantastic. Now, the name of the show being From Fear to Fire, I always have to ask is there a story about a particular fear that you've had or maybe a challenge that you've overcome that you learned a great lesson from that some of our listeners might be able to take away? Yes. So um, I think being a working mom um, and then going from not working at all to just momming, yeah. there's a fear of, can I do this again? Can I actually get out there and do it again? And I was lucky and privileged enough to have these three letters after my name that like had a carrot that would pull me along, right? Like having a PhD is a huge privilege, but I still had that same fear that I think a lot of women or a lot of parents have where you're just like, I don't know if I can do this again. And it has very little to do with, can I get up early in the morning? Can I go to a job? Can I manage my time? It has to do with all of the little knocks that have come along the way of, oh, you're not working. Oh, he's going to school. That's great. Are you going to start working again? Oh, 
They said, no, oh, we're, we're moving forward with another client. We're, we're going to have another candidate this time. All of these little knocks along the way make it so like you're super floppy coming up and standing up. It's like every little thing that you thought you had sitting down is gone when you stand up. Mm -hmm. And so I had this enormous fear that like, if I don't move, I'm going to just sit back down and I'll never get back up. And I'll be a homemaker and let my spouse at the time make all the money mm -hmm. and I'll be okay. Right. And so I was like, no, I can't do that. I can't sit back down. So I had to walk with floppy legs. And let me tell you how scary that is because there's a huge imposter syndrome when you go in and you're like, I don't have every, I didn't check all of these boxes. And you read all these LinkedIn's that's like, you know, go for the job, even if you don't have all the things. And you're like, but. <laughs> well, it's not great for the person who needs to have all the things in order to go for the job. And I can't be the only person to have to have all the ingredients in order to make the like recipe. There's like no substitutions. Okay. So, um, but being so uh, riddled is the exact word riddled by fear. Um, it really made me think about how I move because I couldn't go fast, right? Like when you have like really sore jello-y legs, you can't cruise. You mm -hmm. have to be really intentional about where you step and you have to be careful of, you know, the minds that are there, that can, mm -hmm. the pitfalls and other things. And patience is incredibly difficult when you're scared. And so that is what I think the flame that's where the flame I think came from was patience because mm -hmm. I didn't rush to getting a full-time job and staying there, even if I was super unhappy, right? Like I didn't rush to like going from contract to contract to contract. And I didn't shut down my business idea, even though I had full-time job. And even though people around me were like, Are you, so this is what you're really going to do this time. Okay. So when you're riddled with fear, and you have to keep moving forward and you have to be patient it's like watching paint dry and watching molasses go down the paint that has dried mm. it's so painstaking yes. and all you have to do is just soak in it's like a time of like winter where you just have to like hope and pray that all of the things you've harvested uh, are going to come to fruition in the spring. And so it's been a really long winter. It's been a really long time of fear and then breaking through the fear, but not breaking through in this rocket style, breaking through in this very like peeling away, brushing away, archaeological type of careful way. Mm -hmm. And that's been really hard because you want to burst you yes. want to just burst but I can't so I had to I had to be very intentional and and in doing that and acquiring that patience are you seeing those buds oh the buds are coming and it's mm. amazing because I thought I was going to need to get investors and have seed money and and change my business because I was going to get other people money and what's ended up happening is projects come in, contracts come in, and they fund the little sparks that I had. So now I can have that, that little incubator for youth because I got the project to fund it. 
and I don't have to shut down things because I'm intentionally surrounding myself with people like you, right? And people that are like, yeah, I get this. I get all of this and I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) That is so awesome. I absolutely love this. You know, the time is flying, flying by. So I know that as I'm like sitting on the edge of my seat here, that there are listeners sitting on the edge of their seat wanting to know how they can find out about Dr. G's lab, about your book, when, when's it coming out? How can they get a hold of you? Can you share some of that with them, please? Absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn, Dr. G, you can find me there. Website is Dr. G's lab, D-R-G-S-L-A-B.com. And then you can also find me in my inbox. My inbox is an open inbox. So please email. It's Bree at drgslab.com. So we will put all of that into the show notes so people can find you very easily. And this way, when your book launches, which is going to be any moment, they'll be able to take advantage of that too. So you get to choose. I'm going to give you two things to choose from. You can provide us with the answer to, if you could go back and give your 18-year-old self a piece of advice, what would it be? Or just an overriding words of wisdom. You choose. I'm going to go with overriding words of wisdom because my 18-year-old self wouldn't listen to me anymore. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So the wisdom is um, to actually just stay your course. I know you've heard it multiple times and it's probably really cliche at this point, but you really have to stay in your boat and stay your course because there's going to be a lot of waves. There's going to be big ships that come along. There's going to be pirates that come along. There's going to be all sorts of things. But if you really stay your course, I promise, 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 that's where the gold is. That's where the true treasure is because you know your course. You know where your treasure is. So just follow love it dr g you rocked it thank you so much and those of you out there who are listening and loving the show share it with a friend you know we love to share here and please let us know what you think of the show with a review we appreciate that thank you so much dr g keep doing what you're doing you got it